Here at Country Roads magazine for 40 years, with curiosity as our guide, we've been wandering the back roads of Mississippi and Louisiana, discovering and sharing Southern culture's most compelling stories. It's a chance to listen closer and discover more. And maybe laugh a little too. I'm James Fox-Smith, publisher. And I'm Jordan LaHaye-Fontenot, managing editor. And I'm Alexandra Kennan, arts and entertainment editor. And this is Detours, a new podcast from your friends at Country Roads Magazine. Well, we've done it, haven't we? Country Roads has finally started a podcast. This is James Fox-Smith, Country Roads publisher, and I'm here with my co-hosts, managing editor Jordan Lahey-Fontenot and arts and entertainment editor Alex Cannon. Hey guys, how's it going? It is going good. I am so excited to finally be making this happen and um, pretty close to sending it out into the world to share with all of you guys. Uh, It's kind of a surreal feeling. It definitely feels surreal. I know we've been talking about this for, what, at least five years at this point, and to feels actually like have it. the mics in front of us doing the thing feels pretty good. It really is, Alex. You're quite right. It's like five years ago. And it was in a conversation with Chris Turner Neal, who many of you who read the magazine on a regular basis name will recognize. Chris was Country Roads Arts and Entertainment editor five years ago. And we sat at some point and said, you know what? what do you think, Chris, that we should do with Country Roads? And he said back then, I think that this magazine should start a podcast. So, Chris, if you're listening, this is your legacy at work. Country Roads has finally gotten around to it. Only five years late, but we're getting there in the end. (laughs) Got to give some credit where it's due. Absolutely. Those were big shoes to fill his, but uh, grateful for those wonderful ideas that were bounced around all the way back then. Right. And it It hasn't been um, the smoothest path to making this happen. Um, We've definitely had a learning curve or two. We are magazine editors at heart. The technology has been quite a mountain, but I think we're, I think we're feeling pretty, I mean, how about you guys? I feel like we're, we're kind of slowly getting the hang of this thing. Well, compared to where we were about six months ago, I'd say it's been progress. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the other thing is that uh, on the occasion of the magazine's 40th anniversary, as it is, what better time to put a new medium in place by which to tell these stories? Because at heart, regardless of whether you're a written medium or a spoken medium, Country Roads is and always has been about telling and sharing stories. So the prospect of being able to do that in another medium and tell another dimension of those stories, the one that comes with sound, was just too good to pass up. So I'm really glad we're finally getting there. Yes, me too. Um, so for this first episode, we really kind of thought the best way to introduce this podcast to all of you, whether you've been reading the magazine or whether you're just discovering us, um, we thought we'd start by telling you who we are, who the magazine is, where it began, and how we've gotten to be where we are today. Um, we are the editorial team behind Country Roads Magazine today. Um, 
That is James Foxsmith, who's the publisher again, and Alex Kinnan and I, Jordan LaHaye, are the editors behind the whole thing. And we just kind of wanted to share where we're coming from with this podcast and where we hope to go with it. So James, why don't you start by starting from the beginning? Way back in the mists of time, you mean? Yes. <laughs> and Way in, back. All right, I'll in see St. Francisville, I, of in, all places. In St. Francisville, of all the places where a lot of good things begin. Um, and that certainly did for us. So um, to tell a little about the, the origins of Country Roads, uh, we have to go back to 1982. So they're 41 years ago. Uh, Dorcas Brown, a lady named Dorcas Brown, who is in fact my mother-in-law, was purportedly sitting in a deer stand of all places with her friend uh, Teresa Moore. And the two of them were supposed to be trying to kill a deer, but what they were actually doing was gossiping. And what they were doing was gossiping about the news that the World's Fair was going to be coming to New Orleans in 1983. And there was a lot of buzz about the World's Fair and how in 1983 the news was that the hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people from all around the world would be flocking into Louisiana to experience something of Louisiana culture in the context of New Orleans and the World's Fair. And Dorcas and Teresa, both small towns St. Francisville and Woodville, Mississippi natives, were convinced that the world needed to see more of Louisiana than just what New Orleans had to show it. They were so very familiar with all of the things that were taking place in that constellation of small towns that was uh, around the Felicianas and up through Wilkinson County and up towards Natchez that they felt that it was time that a magazine was put together that connected and didn't just talk about the things happening in the local town, but really drew together information about what was happening at all the small towns in the region. They thought that if they could put together a publication like that and get it out there in such a way as it was available when the World's Fair came to New Orleans in 1983, that all of those people that would be flocking into Louisiana would have a reason to get outside of New Orleans and discover more of what Louisiana and Mississippi had to offer. So they did that. They didn't kill a deer that day, but they (laughs) did spend enough time to pull together a notion of what Country Roads magazine might be about. And when they got down from that stand, they got together with some other extraordinarily gifted people in hindsight, one of whom was the great late Anna Macedo, Mm. who was an artist of extraordinary renown, Baton Rougean, the founder of Anna Macedo and Associates Agency. And they went to Anna, who was the most gifted artist and uh, and, uh, uh, creative marketer they knew, and they said, Anna, can we start a magazine? They thought they were asking Anna for business advice. Anna thought they were asking her for an artistic concept. So she was like, sure, you can start a magazine. And so Anna came up with the idea for the initial layout for Country Roads, which was this very art-heavy, very country-focused chapbook and and hand-hewn feeling of a magazine that had a little bit of stuff about information that was coming up, a little bit of stuff about cuisine, a little about culture, a little about folk history, and put it together in a package that would come out on a periodic basis that gave this all-over impression of what life in small-town Louisiana and everything that was good about it had to offer. 
things took shape. They did. They Dorcas went out and sold some advertising for a while. Teresa was a better speller than Dorcas, so Teresa became the editor. Anne Butler, the proprietor of Butler Greenwood Bed and Breakfast, and a longtime writer and early contributor, uh, was a, a deep part of those early issues as well. And together they pulled together this this conceptual magazine and Dorcas sold some advertising. They published copies of it. They put it around town and they sat back and waited for all the people to show up. And you know what happened? Not a soul st- even stopped for gas in St. Francisville on their way to the World's Fair in 1983. Wow. <laughs> so it goes. <laughs> but do you think she ever could have imagined that this magazine would still be going on 40 years later? There was no conception of the fact. They probably didn't think about what was going to happen happened in 1984, much less 2023. But what had happened by the time that by the time the World's Fair came around, the magazine had been out there in the community for three to four issues. And it turned out far from the far from people from other parts of the country and the world being interested, the people who really turned out to be interested in country roads were locals, were people from Louisiana, people from Mississippi, who were interested not just in what was happening in their own town, but also what might be happening three towns over, or in Baton Rouge, or in Natchez, or in Lafayette, because that, that was the places that they could get in the car and go to on a weekend and have a different experience. And one issue became another, and an issue became followed another, and somehow, 12 years later, when uh, this, this sort of shiftless ski bum traveling Australian ran into a Louisiana girl uh, in Europe in 1993, Country Roads was still around. And, uh, and that uh, turned into a job and then into a career that Ashley and I have been doing ever since. So, James, let's take one step back to that ski bomb, that roving <laughs> ski bomb. Uh, tell us about yourself and your background and, and how you came to be sort of a steward of Louisiana culture uh, with sure. your Australian accent. Yeah. So, yeah, right. What does uh, a group of Louisiana uh, residents, why would they be listening to anything that anybody says in an Australian accent about ways to appreciate <laughs> Louisiana? So yeah, I was born in the UK, but raised in Australia with um, with very expat parents who, who never felt quite at home in Australia. And when I finished college, I kind of did what my parents did and got a plane ticket to the other side of the world and left home. And um, in April 1993, I was in Ireland, in Dublin, uh, when I ran into and fell in love with a blonde Louisiana girl named Ashley, who was uh, similarly sort of travel obsessed and keen to see a wider world. And after we got to know each other, we ended up backpacking and traveling and really following that European work circuit that drives people through the sort of summer and winter resorts in Europe in in the winters and the springs, of which at any given time, there's this sort of population of itinerant waiters and dishwashers and ski bums bouncing around from place to place. And mostly there were lots of Australians and South Africans and New Zealanders and English and Irish there, but not a lot of Americans. There were quite a few Canadians, but there really weren't a lot of Americans who were doing that. Part of that, I think, is just because it's easy for Australians and New Zealanders and South Africans and other Commonwealth countries to get work visas, or at least it was in the 90s. 
Um, it was less easy for Americans to do that, which meant that if you didn't have a whole lot of money, you probably couldn't bankroll that kind of thing. But if you were in our shoes, you could do that really cheaply. And so Ashley had taken advantage of this little known loophole by which people who are enrolled in college who are just graduated from college could get a, a um a renewable work visa in Europe. And she had gotten on that bandwagon while she was still enrolled at LSU and had gotten a work visa that allowed her to work in, in the European Union. And so she was working there for that. But we ended up backpacking for a little over two years before the inevitable happens, which is to say you finally get tired of living out of a backpack and only owning one pair of jeans and you start thinking about what realistically you might do and where you might settle down if you were to get married. And it turns out that Ashley, with a very with deep roots and a big family in South Louisiana, uh, it was a whole lot easier for me who comes from a family of serial emigrators to leave home than it was for Ashley to do that. And so when the time came for us to decide where to be, St. Francisville looked pretty good. And it, that just happened to coincide with the time when Dorcas was beginning to think that perhaps country roads could grow a little beyond what it had always been for the 12 years until then. So you came into this job... Um without any magazine experience to speak of, right? This is totally new. No magazine experience. <laughs> so so really, so there were three of us. First it was Dorcas, and then it was Dorcas and Ashley and James. And when we first did the first issue, which I think was in August in 1995, we basically all tried to do all of it. We all tried to sell some ads, and then we all tried to do some layout, and we all tried to do some writing. And it turned out that I was really terrible at ad sales, and I was really bad at layout. And each of us, as it turned out, Dorcas uh, was a magnificent salesperson. Ashley was fantastic at layout and design. And I was a better speller than either of those. I think that's probably how I ended up editor to begin with. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so we kind of fell into roles that drew us into the areas where we felt most comfortable and maybe had the biggest interest. And I think that those roles have largely continued right through to the present day. Wow. So here we are talking about the learning curve with the podcast, but you've been learning new mediums since the 90s with Country Roads. <laughs> or I, I was to say, or going to work and not really knowing what I'm doing all the time since 1995. There you go. There's a career in that. <laughs> we're grateful you're a quick learner, James, clearly. <laughs> well, we're grateful that you suffer fools, Alex. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yeah. goodness. So much to unpack with this wonderful story. I'm still reeling from the deer stand, honestly. I, I yeah, know. I've never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. Apparently they were sitting on a deer stand uh, seeing no deer when the conversation came to pass. You know, uh, in hindsight, there's just no other way that this magazine could have been started. That's no. just the only Well, option. I will tell you <laughs> one thing, which is I, I think anybody who offered anybody business advice would say that you sit down, you write a sound business plan, and you, you, um, you figure out first where what the financial uh, rationale is for what you're doing, and then you build an editorial model that that plans for exactly which audience you're going to support and serve and all the rest. Country Roads did none of those things. Country Roads was in, was inspired and created by two people with an enthusiasm for the place that they loved and a desire to share it. And after that, I think that so much of what Country Roads has achieved and the audience that it's grown and the reasons that it has always endured 
through all of the changes of media and through all of the comings and goings and the differences of economy and all the rest is just based on that enthusiasm for sharing stories. And if you do that for long enough and you just refuse to give up, I think in the end you carve out a place for yourself um, that that it's difficult to feel any other way. And I think that in the end, that's what Country Roads has always set out to do, is to buy enthusiasm and a love for the place that it covers to deliver something which and some information that you can't get in any other way. Absolutely. And that kind of... I hope so, anyhow. I think so. I, I like yeah. to think so. And and I think that sort of mirror kind of reflecting back on a place, its culture, its art, you know, the things that really make it the place that it is, is really so important. And that's something that having been born in 1993 and having grown up with Country Roads on my, my dad as well as my mom's coffee tables, I kind of took for granted when I was younger. You know, you grow up with a magazine like Country Roads sitting around and you assume that every place must have a magazine that's going in and interviewing its chefs and its artists and covering the events coming up down the road and things to go see and do. It just kind of becomes part of the landscape, part of the scenery. Um, and it wasn't really until I was older and had, had kind of traveled some other places that I realized, oh no, not every rural town in Louisiana has this monthly magazine that's looking back on this culture and sharing it um, with people who are interested in it. So it, it's definitely been, been a ride for me to kind of come around and to now be a part of contributing to that. It really is a joy. Right. So Alex actually grew up in St. Francisville as well, about a generation after James got started at this magazine. It's really, it's wonderful. Whenever you came to the team, Alex, I I just felt like there was a lot of kismet there. Like it's uh, kind of beautiful to have someone who's so familiar with it. And from a different perspective than James and Ashley as well, I think I love the idea of like tiny you looking at this magazine around town and then growing up to be here. How cool. Absolutely. And I really did put it on this like literary pedestal of this, you know, beautiful publication that I grew up with. And I remember sounding out the words um, as I was learning how to read, you know, flipping through issues of it. Um, so yeah, I think kismet's a good word. It really does feel like some kind of sort of universal, uh, I don't know, it just makes sense. Fate's a big word, but it, it definitely feels right uh, to, to be here and to be contributing to it after all these years. Sure. So Alex, why don't you take that opportunity to, to talk a little bit about your background and how you kind of made your way here? Sure. Well, I appreciate you giving the St. Francisville shout out. I probably should have made that clearer from the get go. But yeah, I'm uh, like Country Roads Magazine, uh, born and raised in St. Francisville, Louisiana. And, you know, I, I grew up very much like raised by parents who loved St. Francisville. Uh, my dad was kind of in that group back in the 1970s to really sort of fall in love with the town and to establish his own um, property and, and later a business with my mother, Shade Tree and Bed and Breakfast, right there in downtown St. Francisville um, at the corner of Ferdinand and Royal. So um, I grew up very much in St. Francisville, part of the St. Francisville community. Anna Macedo, for example, was my art teacher when I was a kid. Um, and I grew up, you know, going to art classes there at Birdman Coffee and Books and doing community theater in the local market hall and the old train station down by the river and any other building that we could get the historical society to give us a key to access. Um, so, uh, you know, admittedly, when I was younger, um, especially when I got to that kind of angsty teenager phase around middle school, I started sort of looking beyond, you know, when you grow up in a small town, there's a point where there's a kind of inevitable resentment. And maybe that was just me, but as an angsty teenager. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. Doesn't matter where you grow up. 
Everyone feels that. I suspect yeah. that's pretty relatable. Well, so y'all can imagine, you know, in a town like St. Francisville, which as charming as it is and as many wonderful shops and restaurants and and destinations as it has today... Uh, at the time, all I could really register was that I was, you know, 13 years old and there was no mall. There was no movie theater. Uh, there was no place for me and my friends to hang out aside from like the old stadium steps behind the defunct uh, Julius Freehand School <laughs> um, where we would just kind of watch traffic go by. And, uh, and, and I thought that I was going to move as far away from St. Francisville and as far away from Louisiana as I could imagine. And I, of course, you know, applied to universities in New York and Chicago and all of these faraway places. And then when time came to decide where I was going to go, I looked at all of my options and realized that New Orleans looked a lot better than I had given it credit for. And also St. Francisville at that point looked a lot better than I'd given it credit for. You know, there's um, as much as we have this universal experience of having this kind of teenage rebellion of your place. I also, as I got a little bit older and I did move to New Orleans, move to the city, looking back, I gained a sort of newfound appreciation for it um, and for the sort of charm and quietness and the unique sort of local community culture that arises in a place like St. Francisville that really cities just can't replicate. Um, and so it was kind of as I like began to fall in love with the place that I lived that I really learned to appreciate country roads all the more. And uh, so when I graduated from Loyola University um, with a degree in theater, but also a degree in journalism at that point, uh, it just made a lot of sense for me to start pitching freelance articles to country roads. Um, and I, I got my start doing that. My first ever story was a piece about New Orleans dive bars, which um, is, And I will if anything, never forget that pitch. <laughs> either Alex literally I was three sentences into it I was like oh my god yes why haven't we ever written this story before what year was that that was 2016 so that was the year after I I had just graduated college I I don't know if I was legally allowed to get into most of the dive bars I was covering just yet (laughs) um and in retrospect it's kind of an admission of where I was at that point in my life to a degree you know that when I went through and was thinking of what I knew about in New Orleans that exemplified New Orleans culture that I could bring to the table the dive bar scene was where my head went and of course that is what Nalini the managing editor at that point in time picked up on and hired me to write so that was my first story for Country Roads, and uh, it has just snowballed from there. Um, I think a prerequisite for qualifying as a New Orleans dive bar means being willing to, you know, let people with dubious uh, credentials for their age verification into the place in the first place. <laughs> I would argue so. Well, and and the fact that I was able to get into them at all kind of indicates that looking back. Um, Yeah, but, you know, since then, I, you know, of course, continued to contribute for Country Roads. I also, at that point, got my tour guide license and became a New Orleans tour guide. Um, Got really fascinated by the local history and culture and food, especially here in New Orleans. Um, That snowballed into me writing a book called Classic Restaurants of New Orleans that's an overview and a history of 13 of the most historically unique restaurants in the city of New Orleans, places like Dookie Chase, Commander's Palace, Antoine's. Um, And then at some point during that whole COVID situation, the summer of 2020, 
uh, I was very grateful that Ashley reached out to me and mentioned that y'all had gone remote and asked if I was interested on hopping on board. And uh, needless to say, I was. It's kind of a full circle thing. I'm happy to be here. So I feel seriously underqualified now because (laughs) uh, not only for a magazine that purports to tell people what to do and where to go, you are not only a published author, but also a tour guide, which could not be higher qualifications than any other to qualify you for the position of arts and entertainment editor, Alex. I feel like if we made our robot to be the editor, like we would give the robot exactly your qualifications. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, no. God. Yeah. Be careful with jokes of like that in the climate. <laughs> right. But in the age of um, AI chatbots, I think that we can safely qualify that Country Roads is was, always has been, and always will be written by humans. This is true. Your, yes, your position there is secure, Alex. And oh, look, so thankfully I'm safe. What a relief. Knocking on wood over here <laughs> with my human hand. And speaking of published authors and people overqualified for the job, Jordan, I think that that really <laughs> is the requirement that you now take center stage and tell us about your role as managing editor and how you got there. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up about two hours from St. Francisville, maybe a little more, um, and a little small town called, uh, you know, I tell some people it's Mamu. I tell some people it's Ville Platte. It's actually a small community in between those places uh, called Vidrine. Um, in Evangeline Parish, Louisiana, like right in the center of what they call Acadiana or Cajun country. So I definitely had some of the same experiences growing up in a small town, Alex, as, as you. And I always, I was always interested in writing and I always was under the impression that I could not do that here, that I would have to move pretty far away to, to achieve anything. I was at LSU, a creative writing major, kind of. What years was that, Jordan? What years were you at LSU? 2014 to 2018. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, I had the vague sense of like, I want to be a writer, but not sure like what that would mean or how I was going to make any money doing that. Um, and I ended up taking this creative nonfiction class that, not to be dramatic, but was kind of life changing. Um, it kind of made me realize like, oh, this is, this is the kind of writing that I want to do. And I kind of, despite myself, found found that what I liked writing about a lot was home um, and writing about Evangeline Paris specifically, but Acadiana and just like Louisiana culture a lot. Um, and I had some, some work at the end of that class and asked the professor, like, if I wanted to try to send, like, to get this published somewhere, what are some places that you would recommend? And Country Roads was one of them. And I had actually already encountered Country Roads. Like, I have one core memory with the magazine um, before that. And it was when I first moved to Baton Rouge at LSU. It was my first night there, actually. I I was rushing sorority, and I was staying in the hotel with my mom before I had to officially move into the dorm. And on the – it's like the Cook Hotel on campus at LSU. And on the – coffee table was this magazine and I just started flipping through it and it had the big calendar of events that um, so many people love with Country Roads. We have this incredible like very curated, very detailed calendar of things happening all over the state and me newly coming to Baton Rouge, moving to the city as it was kind of, you know, movie theaters. Wow. But like also all these other things. I was so excited to see all this stuff happening. And um, I like made notes in my phone about things I wanted to do that month. And it's funny, I don't really think I came across the magazine again for like a few years until I went to pitch that story. But I recognized it once I saw it in print. I was like, this is the same publication. 
Um, so yeah, I, I sent I sent that story in, and Nalini also she was the editor during that time, and she told me she wanted it, and so that was my first published piece. I had published a few things in like the Ville Platte newspaper, um, the Bon Nouvelle is what it was called actually. I'll give it a shout out, but um, this is like a little bit bigger, and um, I wrote a story about the record shop there in Ville Platte that's been around forever. And is that Floyd's? It is. It's Floyd's record Floyd's shop. Record shop. Um, yeah. Floyd is actually one of my best friend's grandfathers. So I uh, was like, went to his house and interviewed him and, and realized stuff I didn't even know about how iconic that place is. You know, they really, they recorded some of the first Cajun recordings and Cajun French music that we still have today. And, and, and he went to the Grammys, you know, he just had a spectacular story and it was so fun to tell and to, to share it with like a more Baton Rouge audience um, was really neat. And so, yeah, then I got the bug and kept pitching to Country Roads. And I think that I kind of had the opportunity to fill a hole in Acadiana coverage at that time. So I got invited to do some cool pieces. My second piece for Country Roads actually coincided. Um, the editor at that time, Lucy Monk Carter, was on maternity leave. And I, that's how I got to meet Alex for the first time. She was actually, yeah. she was st- stepping in for Lucy during that time. And Lucy had found a story that she wanted me to do, but she was gone. So I went and met with Alex in person and we talked about it. And, and then we kind of kept up with each other ever since then until, until now we like talk to each other every single day. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. What an exciting time. I know. And that was so strange. Like you were still in college at that point. I was just yeah. out of college and I kind of felt like I was sort of like pretend playing as editor, filling in for Lucy, you know, <laughs> like doing my best to, as, as James said, you kind of fake it till you make it sort of thing. Um, and I remember getting that story from you, that flying vet story, which was just so unique and vibrant and fascinating. And I remember telling James, like, I don't think this girl has even graduated from LSU yet, but this is a brilliant piece. And uh, and then I got to meet you and it's it's just been delightful ever since. And I'm glad it worked yeah. out that it, it came around and we got to work together. It's amazing. It's amazing how it all kind of f- fell into place. I mean, um, so shortly after that, I actually, I think I was probably kind of annoying in y'all's inboxes, James, but I was like, please give me an internship, please, please. Um, and, and so finally, y'all like, did. Please accept an internship. Please, please. <laughs> please <laughs> let me end. come and work at your office. And so I did. I worked there for about a month um, and did this internship and kind of got to really see how the magazine got made. It was a great experience. Um, and, you know, then I went on and I graduated and floundered about uh, trying to find the right thing and really fully expected to move away um, to get a job at a magazine somewhere. Or or I was kind of looking at book publishing, too. It's tough to find a, a job as an English major, um, but I had the opportunity to do some cool internships. I ended up going to Little Rock to work for the Oxford American for a little while and write Uh, We talked about kismet, but like right as soon as that internship was ending, like I think it was within two weeks of each other, um, I was going to go home. My plan, I was working on a book idea and I was going to just go home and try to freelance and work on my book and apply to MFA programs. I was in the middle of sending those applications in kind of half-heartedly like as a, I don't know what else I'll do, so I'll go to grad school, I guess. And then I got an email from Lucy Monk Carter, who was editor, who said that Chris Turner Neal was, uh, was stepping away from the magazine and a job was opening up at Country Roads. And... I had a whole meltdown because I was like, oh, my gosh, am I going to move home? Like, I never thought I was going to move home. 
but I think I want to. And then I did, and I've been here ever since, and it's just been, um, it's been exactly what I think, you know, when I think about what I love to write about and what I started out loving to write about, this is just the exact place for me to be able to do that and to really explore this place that we call home. So it's been an absolute joy. And then we brought Alex on in 2020. So that's how our little team came to be. What a lovely thing to to hear. It makes me think we should possibly change the magazine's masthead to be like Country Roads, specializing in employing English majors since 1983 <laughs> or something like this. You know? And theater majors it. even. And I know. theater majors. <laughs> specializing in employing the unemployable since 1983. <laughs> I, I looked know. at my options and I was like, ah, theater's not making any money. How about print journalism? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but, ser- but more seriously about it, the thing that occurs to me that now that listening to you guys tell of your kind of stories of what brought you to this place and my own, what what draws all of our experiences together is this base in a small, tightly knit town with a distinctive identity of its own and experiences in that town and identity that inform both our way of telling stories and our enthusiasm for sharing. Because at its heart, right, what we're doing, Alex, the stories that you are doing, whether they be about dive bars of New Orleans or or using the skills that you built through your enthusiasm for theatre or your enthusiasm for the tour guiding in New Orleans or Jordan, yours for telling stories of those lesser known pieces of Acadiana culture that are so distinctive and so fascinating, endlessly fascinating to those that don't have access to them and are a source of huge pride to those who do, if you share the kind of editorial that Country Roads does and always has, then there is, there is something there that, you, that is authentic, that cannot be, you can't really fake it. You know what I mean? It's like the stories are in you and you, you're sharing them because you want to and because they're worth telling about and you know they're special and they're not just special. It's like, yeah, Country Roads was, was kind of grew up in St. Francisville and it's kind of inspired by or informed by that sort of spirit, that small town St. Francisville spirit, which is part of, and Alex, like your dad and mum, like the, the elder states people of St. Francisville, like <laughs> the shade tree is, is, and your dad Kenwood is like a St. Francisville icon. He's one of the reasons that the town is what it is and always has been. And that comes through. And it's, I think if Country Roads has been successful, it's partially because it's it's embodied a little of that energy and figured out how to bundle it up and share it, you know, maybe bottle a little bit of it up and then in a creative way, allow readers to uncork it and just take a little sniff of what that spirit is that makes life in a town like Bill Platt, a town like St. Francisville, a town like many of the places that we have the benefit and the privilege of covering, kind of special and kind of unique. And maybe that's what separates it from anything else. Right. I know. I think that there's an approach that we take that's, you know, the, the product, quote unquote, that we're selling, not the, not the AEs, I'm talking about <laughs> the, the editorial team. The product that we are selling is less the magazine itself than like the place that we're trying to share you know, I think that there's a deep effort to deliver that that enthusiasm like you're talking about. And and it doesn't really you know, there's so many dynamics about this place 
you never run out of things to to explore. And so it doesn't get old. It never, you know, you, you never reach that point where you don't care about it anymore. I don't know. It's no. and, it, and then you work with people who are so enthusiastic too. You know, you're talking to all these culture bears, musicians, you know, artists, creative people, or just people who have worked really hard for some aspect of their place. There's something we get from that too that kind of fulfills this this role i think yeah i mean the people we cover are fanatics yeah right they're fanatics for whatever aspect of the land or the culture or the landscape or the art or the music is is the thing that cranks their tractor you know what i mean and and whether (laughs) it's somebody who's devoted themselves to slowing coastal degradation or preserving a community at risk of being lost to rising sea levels keeping the Creole language alive or starting a school which is an immersive French experience. These are stories Mm. that the enthusiasm that the people who are driving those efforts can convey makes makes the process of putting this magazine together. That's the fuel that, 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 that keeps the momentum going for sure. And, right. and the stories just beget more stories, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like each one of these fascinating people who are culture bearers and storytellers in their own right, each one of them that we talk to, it's like turning over a rock and, and just watching things crawl out. It's like, you know, everyone we speak to, there's half a dozen more fascinating people or more fascinating stories yeah. uh, that pop up. So it really does keep you hungry and, and it motivates you. Um, and like Jordan says, you know, there, there really never is a point when you feel like your work is done because every yeah. story just uncovers so much else that you want to look into. And and when you are genuinely passionate about a place, which I mentioned, I do credit Country Roads with helping me be that way. And, and this mindset that comes with working for Country Roads really does help you take pride in where you live because you can't help but notice all of these fascinating and, and truly unique developments around you when you just start looking for them more closely. So it's exciting. It really is. Well, where do we go from here? You know, okay, I mean, no sugarcoating it. This, the last 10 to 15 years have been a real challenge in traditional journalism, right? Right. The model has changed. Um, the ways in which people advertise, and let's face it, advertising is the, the, the thing which has always funded journalism, whether it be um, the daily newspaper or a magazine like Country Roads, uh, it's advertising which has made that a possibility. And there are so many different ways to do that that weren't around uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago as a result of the internet. Right. I think part of the reason that the magazine's still around is knowing about those other opportunities, you know, always being willing to learn the new um, you know, we do all the e-newsletters now that you guys weren't doing back in the day and, and always kind of trying to stay on top of that. But but without uh, totally changing either, you know, the print magazine's still there and people still love it. And um, so doing finding that way to evolve gracefully. Yeah, I mean, the print publication is still the bread and butter of what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've been around for 40 years and you're talking to people now who grew up with a copy of something called Country Roads on their mother's or their grandmother's coffee table, Alex, I'm looking at you, um, 
how do you manage to stay relevant? How does that magazine with that same name continue to be relevant to a new audience today? And I think that there's something about, at this point, in a, in a world of kind of unlimited information, the fact that it's delivered at human scale, that it has a beginning and an end, and it's something tactile that you can touch and you can hold in your hands that gives you a large, luxurious, handleable image of the thing that you're reading about or learning about. There's something that really is actually possibly even more valuable in that now than there might have been 20 or 30 years ago. I think it counts for more. Right. We certainly hear that from our readers. It's harder to find, yeah. It is yeah. harder to find. I think so. No, I totally agree. Just, I mean, in an age where we're constantly barraged with content, uh, most of it digital, you know, on our computers or our phones in one way or another, there is something about that tactility of, of holding something in your hand, something that's intentional, that's created by humans, and that, that is kind of taking a longer look at these cultural developments and and not just trying to sell you something. Um, so as much as I do think it's obviously incredible that Country Roads has adapted and evolved with the times and we've now got our e-newsletter and soon enough our podcast and all these other digital components that are great and are helping us reach new audiences, I in the same breath think it's so crucial and important that we do keep that print issue, you know, and that we bring those print readers along with us for the ride. Because, um, you know, as much as we want to develop new readers, you know, uh, who might have seen the magazine on their aunt or, or grandmother's coffee table or wherever, um, we do have folks that have been with Country Roads since you were, James, you know. years and counting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so got to give a shout out to those those long term fans <laughs> for for holding it down. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is, I I do think that Country Roads we do make a point of telling stories that you probably won't find covered anywhere else. Right. You know, I mean, there is a, a little bit of a herd mentality in a lot of coverage, um, cultural coverage, where you will tend to hear the same stories crop up over and over again. And I think that Country Roads, <laughs> possibly to its own detriment, <laughs> has um, had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction around, well, if everyone else is talking about this, we're going to do something completely different. We do. We kind of have that stubborn, but I think it works. Um Yeah. Maybe not for everyone, but I think that people who love us do love that aspect of us. Like, there's a lot of really fun, weird stories that we get to cover. So weird. We kind of get placed in this like indie realm, but like not quite. And I, I, there's so much freedom. It's it's really a fun place to be a writer and an editor. And I I think our our freelancers like like uh, the ones who work with us regularly appreciate that too. There's a there's a freedom and voice that we kind of. Uh, foster that's a little bit different yeah it sort of preserves the writer's personality yeah that that... yeah and i it might be because we're we are like english majors like james is an english major i'm english major and alex is an english minor is that right alex no 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 Uh, it's a a theater journalism hybrid major it was a little weird so yeah but she's an english major (laughs) at heart heart. absolutely absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like there's something about you know i i think we come at it a little bit from a a storytelling first place than um, than some journalism like than you're used to getting in other places of journalism uh, that do great work. I just do think that we have a little bit of a different um, experience reading some of our stories. 
Absolutely. I think I've mentioned that, you know, when I was studying journalism in college, I was writing in AP style, which is what anyone who majors in journalism is taught. And that's the very, you know, kind of classic sort of rote, newsy news reporting. And there's not really any room for a writer's personal voice. There's not any room for extraneous details the writer thinks are interesting or any of those things that we love here at Country Roads. So it's been kind of fun working for Country Roads. I've had to kind of untrain myself from that AP style. And it really is so freeing and so fun to get to kind of let your own voice and your own personality and your own experience, as well as your sources, voice and personality and experience really come through, um, which can be a challenge to convey, of course, but we have a lot of fun trying. Absolutely. Right. Well, that kind of brings us to uh, why we started this, right? Like we, we were talking about this the other day, you know, there's only so close you can get to a source and the way they speak and the way they tell stories and what they feel when they tell those stories, when you're transcribing it and writing it and putting it onto paper. Um, So I think part of the appeal of this podcast is a little bit to get one step closer in that sense to some of our sources and to to bring our sources directly to our readers, our listeners in this case. Um, It's an opportunity. I mean, we talk all the time about how many wonderful dialects and and accents are in this region. And that's just a very basic, like, way to talk about it. But it's just also really true that that's something that colors the storytelling so well that just doesn't always get conveyed on the page. And I'm just, I'm really excited about that part of it. I, I can't wait to bring some of these great storytellers that we get to talk to directly to our our listeners to you our Um, audience yeah 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 it's so true i mean jordan or i will have a conversation with a source or someone we're fact checking with and they will just have the most beautiful brilliant accent from whatever part of louisiana they're from and when we come back and we geek out about oh my goodness this accent if only our readers could get this accent across on the page and that's part of why we have the podcast now yeah yeah Yeah, it's a whole new dimension with which to tell the story Right. And I think we'll reach some people, too, that maybe have, you know, I hope we might reach people who who just don't pick up print magazines and that, you know, we're not under any illusions that we're going to get everyone to pick up a print magazine. But I think that we have a lot of stories and information to offer people of every generation. Uh, Alex and I are millennials. I think that there's a lot for people our age and even younger that they would really get a lot of use from our publication, but maybe won't ever like find us on the newsstand or, or notice us on the newsstand. And we kind of hope to reach them this way, perhaps. I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of possibilities here. Yeah. Yeah. And after all, you know, we've all said it, but we live in a land of storytellers. Mm-hmm. And to have this way to convey more of what they have to say, it seems really right. I think the time is right for it. For sure. Absolutely. And and who doesn't love a podcast? I got to say, I mean, uh, since we started talking about this five years ago, the podcast craze has been up and climbing. Exploded. And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And I know there, there's not a single commute or a drive that I make that I'm not listening to some niche bit of history or interview with someone or other on a podcast. So it just kind of right. makes sense as, as fans of them and consumers of them ourselves. We couldn't resist hopping on the train. Yeah, there's maybe no coincidence that uh, we are launching this podcast in the midst of our April issue, uh, which is our road trips issue. So we're kind so of, true. you know, making a suggestion, guys, pick up an issue, make a plan to go somewhere cool and maybe turn on our Detours podcast and get a little bit behind the scenes of the stuff you're reading. 
Yeah, take us with you on your drive. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that we might uh, just just give is yes, you may be listening to this episode first, but that doesn't mean that this is the only episode that we have yet recorded. Because <laughs> at this point, we've we've already got the first five or six episodes well underway. And we have some fascinating stories to tell and some fascinating people to introduce you to. They include Hollywood actor and stuntman, um, uh, our own Chris Turner Neal, and, uh, and a firsthand experience of, of his experience at Louisiana's, uh, best known nudist colony and any number of other stories by which to help you the reader and the listener enrich and better appreciate this place that we all call home. So we feel super excited to share these stories and build the connections that tie them all together and to bring you guys along to, for the ride, because in the end, you, the audience are the reasons that we do this, regardless of whether it's in print or online or now in this podcast, we want to share these stories that make Louisiana and Mississippi such an extraordinary place to call home. So thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, and if you're still with us at this point, we're going to assume that you do, please subscribe to Detours, give us a rating, and maybe even send it to a friend. And if you're not already reading Country Roads magazine, you probably should be. To read online, find a copy, or subscribe to have the monthly issues delivered to your door, visit countryroadsmag.com. Detours is written, presented, and produced by us, the editorial team at Country Roads magazine, James Fox-Smith, Jordan Lahey Fontenot and Alexandra Kennan. Our theme music was written and recorded by Bill Daniel and Sam Shaheen of Naughty Professor and produced by Bill Daniel at Wildchild Studios in New Orleans. The Detours logo and other associated artwork was created by Country Roads Magazine's creative director, Courtney Zimmerman. And the audio editing for this season was done by me, Jordan Lahey Fontenot, with the help from Alexandra Kinnan and Sam Shaheen. We'd also like to thank the East Baton Rouge Parish Library's River Center branch, particularly Wesley Morgan, for allowing us to utilize the recording studio in their maker's space to record several episodes for this first season and for helping us along the way. So, until our next detour, don't be a stranger. You can always reach us at detours at countryroadsmag.com. And thanks for listening.